Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's the ungodly hour of 6.20 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 26th of August, 2020. This is episode 277 of Bitcoin, and let's just let's just get let's just get through this one. If you were anywhere close to Bitcoin yesterday, whether Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, you probably you probably saw Jameson Lop talk about something called NXS and no I'm not talking about the 80s band it's NX or INX I just call it NXS because that's what I think it should be called because it's yet another decentralized finance token and it's coming from Jameson Lop and if you don't know who that is is one of the older uh quote unquote OGs in the space for for Bitcoin and and it looks like uh, he's one of the advisors on this INX token, along with a couple of other OG guys. Alan Silbert's on there, Samson Moe, which is kind of pissing me off because I was talking about Samson yesterday, and I a whole some other people. And most of them were like OGs in the space, and it really caught everybody off guard that they are stepping into as a, in advising roles and getting tokens uh of this this INX token for their role as advisors and this I don't know man let's just see what the hell this is Andrew Hayward's going to help us figure this shit out this is decrypt.co sometime yesterday bitcoin backer Jameson Lop defends support of INX token IPO the Gibraltar-based INX Limited today began its initial public offering for 130 million security tokens that can be used with its upcoming cryptocurrency exchange following approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. And there's an unexpected figure in the fray. Bitcoin maximalist Jameson Lop, the co-founder and CTO of a wallet provider, Casa, the INX advisor, had criticized Ethereum and Many other tokens in the past, but he's on board with INX. Today he tweeted, not an equity offering, not your mama's ICO, a guaranteed share of cash flow. Oh, fucking haiku of idiocy. In return, he received significant blowback from people in the crypto community, suggesting that he's a sellout and shilling shitcoins. According to the SEC filing, LOP is able eligible to purchase up to 250,000 tokens at one penny a piece, or one ninetieth of the price available to the public in the current sale. Oh, yay. Okay, so just let's hold up right there. The tokens are go- went on sale yesterday for ninety cents a piece. Jameson's going to be able to buy in, and all the other guys, by the way, all the advisors, and there's like seven or eight on the advisory board are all going to be able to buy anywhere from 100,000 tokens all the way up to 500,000 tokens for a penny. 
they went on sale yesterday for 90 cents. Okay. I'm just saying, dude, I'm just saying, you know, figure it out for yourself. I'm not going to tell you how to think about it. If you think, Hey man, that's great. People making the monies. Or if you think this is just a if infernal hell that you hellscape that you have to walk through, that's that's up to you. I can't tell you which which way to look at it, but quote, don't conflate permissionless altcoins that try to compete with Bitcoin to this, a regulated security token for a specific company, he tweeted in response to criticism. This is a very different beast. I find it interesting because historically the most profitable businesses in the crypto ecosystem are exchanges, end quote. <clears throat> INX. Is billed as the first ever SEC registered security token offering each, get this, Ethereum based ERC20 token is priced at 90 cents, bringing the total amount that could be raised through the sale to $117 million. A minimum investment of $1,000 is required to take part in the token sale. Token holders will be eligible to receive a prorated cut of the company's cumulative adjusted net operating cash flow. <laughs> The token will be used on the eventual INX Trading Solutions Exchange with INX token users eligible for a free discount of at least 10% and eligible for further discounts via staking. It just gets worse and worse and worse. All told, 200 million INX tokens have been minted with 35 million reserved for INX management, employees, advisors, and early investors and the other 35 million put into a reserve fund used for acquisitions, regulatory requirements, and other potential operational expenses, INX's timeline uh, points to an estimated Q1 2021 launch for the exchange and the start of revenue generation with security token trading and listing expected in Q2 of next year. International expansion outside of the United States is also planned. And not a single, single word about that made it clear where the revenue is supposed to come from. Not really. I mean, there's some, there's some hints, but I mean, like, I, where's the revenue coming from? And I mean, and that, and that's just a question on the other end of the shit show, right? It's a, it's on Ethereum. I'm pretty sure Jameson Lop says that Ethereum is a pile of trash, as does Samson Mo. And I don't get me wrong, I like these guys, but. Dude, this is a seriously, seriously hypocritical path to take. There is no way on God's green earth that you couldn't have figured out that the second that you guys opened your mouth with your history that you were going to end up getting a gigantic pile of shit dropped on you by all the communities all at once the second that we heard about it. I don't know what you were expecting. I don't know how you're surprised. I honestly don't. It's like you... what. what did you just step into the space yesterday? The fact that you're surprised and the fact that the defenders of these guys are surprised, it, it amazes me. Now, I still like Jameson. I still like Samson. I still kind of like Alan. I'm not really sure about him. Uh, I mean, he's Barry's brother. I'm talking about Barry Silbert, who has never been the best actor in, in the Bitcoin space. In all told, this thing is a gigantic shit show. But even when, when I put all of it aside, the fact, the, the hypocrisy that it's on the Ethereum chain, given all the advisors hate Ethereum, except for Alan Silbert, um, the hypocrisy of the fact that we're in the middle of this DeFi boom, and here we go with this bullshit. Where's the revenue coming from? Somebody please tell me 
I mean, I heard word that it was, oh, we're going to provide liquidity to the markets. What, so that I can short a shit ton of, of BTC? Is, is that what you're helping do? Because if that's what you're helping to do, I'd like to sue your fucking ass. I honestly, I mean, if you're going to step into this kind of bullshit and expose yourself to this kind of regulatory scrutiny, then you expose yourself to the whole damn thing. I don't know, man. I don't know about this. I think this is a terrible idea. And I think reputations just got thrown into the fire. South Korean crypto exchange Coinbit seized over allegations of, well, massive wash trading August 26th. Daniel Palmer is writing this for Coindesk, and it's one of those outline form things, so bear with me. Coinbit, South Korea's third largest cryptocurrency exchange, has reportedly been seized by police over allegations it faked most of its trading volume. What does that sound like? Mount Gox, that's right. According to a report from Seoul Newspaper on Tuesday, local police raided and confiscated the company's Gangam headquarters and other premises. Accused of fraud, the firm's owner, Chiu Mo, and other managers are said to have artificially inflated volumes on the exchange by using ghost accounts to make fake trades, a practice known as wash trading. In its report, Seoul Newspaper said it had been informed by insiders of corruption at Coinbit months ago and that up to 99% of trading volume was manipulated on the platform. Police allege wash trading at Coinbit had produced over 100 billion won or $84 million in faked income. The newspaper said it had put off reporting its findings until the raids at the request of the investigation department of the Seoul Metropolitan Government. An accounting firm uh, reportedly refused to work with the firm after viewing its books. Seoul newspaper said it had seen the books and that 99% of recorded trades could not be associated with deposits or withdrawals. <laughs> Jesus. So there you go. We got another one that just went down in flames. So, yeah, uh, that's the problem with being in a space like this. And it's not the problem with this space. What this is a problem with is a problem with all new spaces. The amount of airplanes falling out of the sky and earthquakes and volcanoes blowing up. I mean, it's like a hellscape. You know, like I just said, man, it's like, you know, watching Jameson Law basically take his reputation and put it in the, into the fire. It's like... What are you doing? Am I, I mean, it's, it's almost like a Dantean thing where you're walking through and describing what you see in the nine circles of hell. That is literally what this space is like. It's like, why are you ripping yourself apart? Um, why are you setting your wife on fire? Why are you munching on th uh, three guys out of the three mouths that you have? They're Lucifer. I mean, honestly, betrayals the rending of, of self, the burning of your own reputation. It's all here, people. It's just buy a ticket to the show, man. Buy some Bitcoin. The IMF might be considering a shitcoin. Uh, in another story of, oh my God, BTC Times has uh, David, or yeah, Dave Stein writing this one yesterday. The International Monetary Fund is a predatory lending institution that issues dollar-denominated debt to developing countries. Recent clients tell include Argentina, Ecuador, and Greece, whose economies were leveraged to the brink of collapse. What if the IMF could do that, but with a blockchain? In a recent video, the IMF provides a puzzling explanation of cryptocurrencies that mistakes Bitcoin's features as flaws. At best, the IMF's, 
IMF is confused, more likely they are gaslighting the public to gauge potential reception of an IMF coin. The explainer begins with some faulty assumptions. First, that transactions are peer-to-peer, permanent, and secured by cryptography. These assumptions only hold true if users run their own nodes on a majority hash rate chain with enough minor decentralization to avoid a 51% attack and chain reorganizations. The narrator defines the so-called problems of cryptocurrency as anonymity, untraceability, and the possibility that you might misplace your keys. These are all defining features of a bearer instrument, and it is because of these traits that the gold standard served as an international medium of exchange for centuries. The IMF also complains about cryptocurrency volatility, even though Bitcoin has had the same predetermined issuance rate for over 10 years and will continue to do so until the heat death of the universe. Market volatility is largely a side effect of the Federal Reserve's relentless money printing. In fact, the S&P 500 is pumping to all-time highs in the midst of a recession should be a good indicator that fiat is not a good measure of reality. The main purpose of fiat money is to manipulate a nation's economy through the selective allocation of wealth. Lending used to be constrained by assets available, but now loans can be conjured ex nihilo, which means from nothing. If the IMF depletes its $1 trillion uh, lending capacity, it can allocate special drawing rights for instant liquidity. Instead of allowing debtor countries to default, the IMF issues unsustainable debt to ensure the lenders never take a loss. Meanwhile, the IMF gains influence over the country's economic policy and can potentially force the sale of its strategic assets. Support for U.S. dollar hegemony has been waning, partly due to the current administration's aggressive and unpredictable foreign policy. That ain't it. or That ain't all of it, anyway. China launched the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank to rival the IMF in international lending and has been testing a central bank digital currency. The IMF may feel obliged to issue its own cryptocurrency, if only to match the AIIB in lending capacity. Neither IMF nor AIIB are likely to take advantage of cryptocurrency as a peer-to-peer censorship-resistant technology. Instead, it will be an excuse to print more money, the foundations for which are being laid through seemingly innocent video clips. Now they're talking about this IMF, uh, circular or, or video that circulated around, it was either yesterday or the day before. It's not new. It's actually kind of old. They're just, they just recycled it. So be aware this is a recycled message, but, uh, yeah, this, they are predatory and they are going to screw this up and they don't understand what the technology is and that's okay because guess what? All the people that invented shit like IMF and central banking, they're, I mean, dude, they're on their last legs. I I don't mean to be all morbid about it, but it's the truth. I mean, they're, the people that are in control of all this shit are going to go away. And they're going to go away real soon. Honestly, it's, it'll be okay. It's just going to suck. To be alive, to watch it is going to suck. But I guarantee you, man, you, if you survive it to be on the other side, oh, oh the stories that you can write. The stories that you'll be able to tell your grandchildren, uh, it's going to be amazing, man. It's going to be amazing. Barstool Sports, like like this, Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy offers to save Bitcoin. Oh, thank God, Stool President. Uh, where would we be without your 
elegance, your craftiness, your shit coinery. El Presidente leaves Bitcoiners hoping he'll throw his millions back into the game. Amy Castor is uh, writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime on the 25th. El Presidente continues to taunt the Bitcoiners. After purportedly buying 1.25 million of the world's most popular crypto and dumping it days later, much to the dismay of Bitcoiners, who would have preferred him to hodl Barstool Sports Day Portnoy, now says he will save Bitcoin, but only if Bitcoiners are civilized towards him. Quote, I will save Bitcoin if they ask me nicely, he said today in a tweet that has so far garnered thousands of likes and hundreds of retweets. Noted gold bug and Bitcoin hater Peter Schiff happily took the bait, tweeting that Bitcoin is beyond saving. Quote, why jump on a sinking ship or encourage others to do so? You did right by cutting your losses, tweeted Schiff. (laughs) By saying he will save Bitcoin, presumably Portnoy means he'll get the price headed back in the right direction. He claimed to have bought Bitcoin on August 13th when it was around 11,755. The price climbed to over 12,000 four days later before starting to sink. Uh, Today, Bitcoin is at 11,300. The self-described baron of Bitcoin also hinted at saving Chainlink, another crypto he claimed to have sunk money into before selling it off shortly after. Quote, it is time to save the Link Marines, Portnoy tweeted, along with a video of a soldier rushing in to save his comrades. He trademarked his trademark smirking face pasted onto the hero's shoulder. Uh, Oh, God. And then he tweeted a poll to his legions of Followers asking them to decide if he should save the Link Marines or let them perish. Most responded that he should let them perish. (laughs) Did Portnoy help inflate the price of Bitcoin by drawing attention to the asset? Did the price drop because he got out of it? Is he pumping and dumping? Who knows? I'm going to pause right there. The question to all this is no. Or the question. The answer to all these questions is no. No. He did not inflate the price by drawing attention to the asset. He's not that big. He's big, but he ain't that big. Did the price drop because he got out of it? No, 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 not at all. Because A, we don't even know if he got out. Honestly, did he even get in? Is there any way to actually prove what happened? And honestly, there's kind of not. I I mean, I don't know what to believe at this point. Anyway, but in many ways, though he is a cool mistress, while Bitcoiners love the celebrity attention because it draws more investors and hopefully more real cash into Bitcoin, when it comes to the crypto world, Portnoy acts like he could take it or leave it. The problem is he doesn't leave it completely. Instead, he keeps the Bitcoiners hanging on by doling out small bits of opium that he'll return in full force. Even after he sold Bitcoin, for example, he still said he had his cash on Gemini. Quote, the sexual tension between Dave and Bitcoin has never been more real, the official account of crypto trading platform El Toro US tweeted today. The excitement began two weeks ago when Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss dropped by Portnoy's summer home in Nantucket to give him a few pointers on how to invest in crypto via the Twins Gemini Exchange. But as of Friday, he sold his 1.7 million Twitter followers or he told his 1.7 million Twitter followers he was out of Bitcoin and sticking with stocks because stocks continue to always go up. Bitcoiners are upset because Portnoy is not hanging on to his crypto assets in the hope that the market will climb ever upward. Instead, he jumped out of the market as soon as the price faltered, with many criticizing him for having weak hands, among other things. 
quote, Dave lacks the testicular fortitude to take it takes for digital assets, one Bitcoiner complained. All right. Remember this this man as being the person that you never figured out where he was. You don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows but Dave. And Dave may very well not know. He may just be winging it on this entire thing. But here's one thing to, to uh, take away when he talks about how he's making money in stocks. I mean, if, you, if you're going to take him at his word on all the rest of this stuff, then you got to take him on his word when he says that he makes $100,000 every single trading day on, on the stock market. Really? Well, let's just make the math really easy and say the stock market was open every single day, including holidays, Saturdays, and Sundays. That would be uh, $360 or $36 million a year. <laughs> let's say you include weekends and holidays. You're going to clear what? Uh, twenty-five, twenty-eight million dollars, depending on how many, how much vacation time you got. Twenty-eight million dollars a year, just sitting on your ass in front of a fucking screen. If you believe this man, then he's got you. He's doing exactly what he's always done. He's sucked you into his little world, and he's just throwing bits of bullshit around the room and seeing if you'll go pick it up. I mean, I like Dave Portnoy, but dude, have some self-respect. Three years of Segwit blocks, a look back and a look ahead. This is Lena Seish. I know I'm I'm pronouncing your name horribly, but it, she is writing it for the btctimes.com sometime on the 25th. Three years ago today, the Bitfury pool mined the first Bitcoin block that measured over one megabyte, 1,032.119 kilobytes to be exact exceeding the previous Bitcoin block size limit for the first time. It contained 2,164 Bitcoin transactions with a total volume of 22,264.83 Bitcoin worth over, wow, $262 million uh, at the time of writing. This was made possible through the activation of Segregated Witness, or SegWit, Bitcoin's possibly largest protocol upgrade to date. Initially proposed by Blockstream's Peter Woola and at Scaling Bitcoin in 2015, SegWit introduced a number of improvements to Bitcoin's performance. The proposal originally sought to fix an anomaly in the Bitcoin protocol that, while mostly harmless <laughs> to the network ex- itself, prevented the straightforward deployment of the second layer solutions such as Lightning Network. SegWit further increased Bitcoin's theoretical block size to 4 megabytes, although more realistically to around 2 megabytes. Introducing block weight as a new measuring method and as opposed to block size, this would enable fee savings for users. Lastly, SegWit introduced script versioning, a protocol extension that paved the way for the integration of further scaling and privacy solutions such as Snore Signatures and Taproot. The upgrades were especially notable as SegWit did not require a hard fork for its implementation. Instead, a backward compatible software protocol upgrade was used to activate SegWit. Its potential to directly or and indirectly aid Bitcoin's scalability easily caught the attention of Bitcoin's technical community. And in December of 2015, SegWit was added to the Bitcoin scaling roadmap, but the proposal turned out to spark rejection from several Bitcoin companies, igniting a year-long dispute between a number of Bitcoin companies and users. After large mining companies attempted blocking SegWit, 
to instead push forward a block size increase through a hard fork, a grassroots movement within the Bitcoin community led to the birth of the user activated soft fork or the UASF presenting a or presenting a forcing function to miners that eventually led to the activation of SegWit on August the 23rd of 2017 following its activation SegWit critics were quick to point out that its adoption seemed sluggish too quick in the eyes of SegWit supporters who noted that adoption was a gradual process and would take time in its first month SegWit adoption hovered around the 10th percentile with SegWit supporters positive about its growth trajectory. In February of 2018, adoption more than doubled in a matter of two days, jumping over to 30 or jumping to over 30%. This was thanks to a new Bitcoin Core release that made SegWit features more accessible to Bitcoin users, opening the floodgates for wider usage. Around the same time, major industry players Bitfinex and Coinbase adopted SegWit. Not really. Uh, demonstrating a vote of confidence in the upgrade and making it available to their user base. Three years after the first SegWit block was mined, SegWit adoption sits at around 50%. The average block size having seen an increase to 1.2 megabytes since 2017. Today's criticism of slow adoption may boil down to the fact that a, a number of large Bitcoin companies have been slow to add SegWit support while their individual reasons are unclear, it may have to do with technical effort needed to implement the upgrade, which requires more time and overhead for large companies and may not be every firm's top priority. Some companies are further speculated to be putting off SegWit migration for political reasons as they have preferred to see a different scaling solution. Regardless of SegWit's adoption rate, anyone who does use SegWit addresses enjoys the benefit of fee savings. In fact, according to recent research by Verify, <clears throat> had SegWit been adopted earlier and more widely, up to 36,000 Bitcoin could have been saved. Speaking about three years of SegWit blocks, Blockstream CEO Dr. Adam Back commented, quote, SegWit fixing third-party malleability is great and has enabled a range of Layer 2 multi-clause scripts such as Lightning plus opt-in scaling for users who select wallets and service providers who use it. By fixing Bitcoin's transaction malleability, SegWit made it significantly easier to develop second layer protocols on top of Bitcoin. With that, the Lightning Network was released in March of 2018. Since then, Lightning has grown to over 1,000 Bitcoin in capacity, approximately $12 million USD at the time of writing, and is viewed by the wider Bitcoin community as one of the most promising scaling solutions for Bitcoin. And Lightning continues down its path of growth, developing company Lightning Labs, which is backed by Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Litecoin creator Charlie Lee, among others, recently announced that it lifted the channel size limit for its Lightning implementation, LND, paving the way for larger volumes on the Lightning network. Those would be the Wumbo channels, just so you know. <clears throat> so it's a little kind of history lesson on what was going on with SegWit. Um, that, was a, that was a deep... God, that was just such a, it was, a, it was yet another circle of hell. It was walking around a circle of hell as, you know, as, um, as our, oh, I can't remember the, the main guy's name in, in Dante's Inferno. What was his name? His girlfriend was Beatrice. I can't remember the guy's name, but our main dude being led by the nose, you know, by, uh, his muse around the circles of hell and, Watching his reaction to all the craziness is sort of like being in Bitcoin right now. Uh, you know, and, and certainly was back then. And honestly, not much has changed. I mean, again, I'm still kind of 
reeling about the Jameson Lop shilling a shit coin on a on a shit chain that is was invented specifically to enable scams. I I don't get it. I I really don't. But again, it's like being it's like witnessing the events in one of the circles of hell. Crypto exchange FTX buys Blockfolio or yeah, buys Blockfolio for $150 million. Now this has been all over the place. I don't give a shit, but you might. So I'm doing this for you guys. Robert Stevens is writing this for decrypt.co sometime on the 25th. Hong Kong based cryptocurrency derivatives exchange FTX announced the acquisition of cryptocurrency portfolio tracker Blockfolio for $150 million. FTX plans to collaborate with Blockfolio on a retail trading application, which it hopes to launch this fall. This is one of the largest crypto acquisitions. Okay, that is important. Binance's acquisition of Metric Suite coin market cap was rumored to be over $400 million. FTX is a cryptocurrency exchange focused on derivatives. It reportedly oversees $750 million in trades per day. Rather than directly buying and selling Bitcoin itself, derivatives traders swap things like futures and option contracts. Uh, that's a fancy word for gambling because they don't provide anything. Other than if you're right, you make money. If you if you lose, you lose money. That's all it is. It's a casino. When somebody says, I'm into options and futures and derivatives and CDOs, you just look at them and say, you're a gambler. You're a degen gambler. Get away from me. Don't talk to my family. That That's what you say. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's all. Because none of this shit builds anything. It doesn't. FTX also mints leveraged tokens, which are so complex that Binance delisted them because its users don't understand them. Yeah, we call that obfuscation, and, and you do that so that you can rip people off. Blockfolio's portfolio tracker gives its users a broad overview of the direction of the cryptocurrency market, taking price feeds of all the major currencies from hundreds of cryptocurrency exchanges. The firm has raised more than $17 million since its launch in 2014. Its purchase of Blockfolio, uh, FTX, in, in its purchase of Blockfolio, FTX sees a chance to bring its powerful trading suite and industry leading liquidity to a new audience, according to its press statement. Better put a tie on that suit speak, baby. We believe crypto is on the cusp of mainstream adoption, said Ed Monacata, co-founder and CEO of Blockfolio. Quote, so we're thrilled by the potential of uniting one of the best product teams in our industry with what we are convinced is the best exchange in the space. FTX is already planning to launch a decentralized exchange serum soon. It relies on the Solana blockchain, which claims to be able to process 50,000 transactions per second. The Ethereum blockchain, in comparison, can process about 13. FTX told Decrypt that the project is not related to the retail product it is building with Blockfolio. So, again, walking around the circles of hell and witnessing the idiocy. You know, it's like, it's like human beings are just absolutely obsessed with destroying themselves derivatives options we're dragging in we're it's like you know i remember having discussions with bitcoiners back in the day and we were worried that you know not worried we were talking about the fact that we that we had concerns let's say that that the financial legacy markets or legacy financial markets would come in and and do shit no they didn't have to come in they didn't have to Break through the door, through the window, God forbid. No, 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 no. No, we opened the door and we 
we just walked outside and took them by the hand and dragged them right the fuck in so they could do the same stupid shit in here that has screwed up the world out there, which caused the very creation of that in here. Do you get what I'm saying? We're screwing this up again because this is human nature. Humans, honestly, humans don't want to be happy ever. They want to be miserable and they want to be less miserable by forcing more misery on others, if that makes sense. Hence, derivatives. Hence, options. Hence, futures and and collateralized debt obligations and all the, the bullshit. It's like humans are fucking obsessed with killing themselves, either in the long term or the short term. Is that really the human condition? And this, in my opinion, this is one of the reasons why Jameson Lopp and Samson Moe got so much fucking flack. Because we're tired of it. Options and derivatives and CDOs and your future markets and your liquidity provisions, provisioning and all this bullshit. That's all it is. It's just bullshit. How come we can't just have money? I think it's because the human condition will not allow it. Again, Dante's Inferno of Hell keeps coming back to the fray. Let's run the numbers. All right, let's run the numbers. Uh, I've got uh, CNBC up here. The only thing I'm going to be able to tell you about is futures because unlike Bitcoin, all the markets are closed unless you're in Asia. Oil is down half a point. Uh, it's going to open at, I don't know, somewhere around 43 bucks. Uh, Brent North Sea is at 45. Natural gas continuing its run to the upside by almost two points. It's uh, going to cost about $2.53 for um, uh, 1,000 cubic feet of natural gas. Gold is flat. Uh, it's going to probably open around 1921 bucks. Silver is going to open 26.5. And let's see, where are we at? Currency? No, 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 no. I want indexes. Ah, there we go. Dow futures are, I mean, okay, here's the thing. Everything's flat for in, uh, for uh, equities. <clears throat> and the reason is we don't know what Jerome Powell is going to say in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah, they're going to do that whole meeting again or, or whatever where all the central bankers and all the, the important people in finance, they get together uh, over in Jackson Hole, uh, otherwise known as the target, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the meeting. Um, and they talk about how they're going to fuck us. Anyway, so Jerome Powell is expected to talk about how we're going to get inflation to actually occur in the United States because with all the money printing they've done, as in history, every time this is done, it's not, it does not necessarily follow that inflation hits almost immediately after they have to do stuff to make inflation actually occur. And that's what's going to happen. We're pretty sure that Jerome Powell is going to announce whatever that they're going to take whatever measures necessary to not only hit their 2% inflation target, but go well beyond that. I don't know how much far beyond that, but this is not going to be good. They're going to say it's good, and they're going to tell you. And if, you're, if you buy into the, the bullshit, you'll go out and trumpet in the street like a good little slave. Uh, make sure you get that shackle polish going on because they're going to tell you exactly what to say. And if you believe it, well, I, I can't help you, but it's not going to be good. Let's, let's just continue and, and, and talk about actual, actual Bitcoin here. 
and I've lost my uh, I've lost my place. Hold on for just one second because for whatever reason I didn't have it up here. Okay, Bitcoin at eleven thousand three hundred and ninety eight dollars. We have, in fact, a low. Is that going to be our low? No, our low is going to be over at Simex at $11,389. Our high is going to be a bit asset at $11,405. We have 350,000 BTCs being sent. Is, is our, uh, BTC, sorry. 350,000 transactions were done in the last 24 hours, and that's about 14,400 transactions on average per hour. We have high volume again. 1.715 million BTC have been sent around the horn in the past 24 hours. That's about 71,500 BTC being sent on average per hour. We have about 5 BTC being sent as the average transaction value, and the median trans transaction value is about 0 0.052. That comes in at just under $600 USD. Block times are slightly low, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. We have 0.7 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 105 BTC being taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. With a 6.25% slide to the downside on hash rate, we are now at 120.2 exahashes per second. Uh, Ethereum is at 383, Bcash at 275, Litecoin at 58, BSV at 190, Ethereum Classic at six and a half. Dogecoin taking it, taking it like a champ, 0.0033. At 50,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, Dogecoin does indeed beat out Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash for transactions in a 24-hour period. Clark Moody has got the price at 11,390. We know that the money supply, according to Clark Moody and whatever node he's looking at, which is going to be the which is going to deliver me the same number uh, that the node that I'm looking at, is eighteen million four hundred seventy one thousand three hundred forty six point zero eight BTC in circulation. There are four thousand and seven hundred four thousand seven hundred thirty eight transactions waiting to clear in whatever mempool Clark's looking at. And that means we have about 25 blocks to clear about 25 megabytes worth of transactions. Uh, Lightning Network showing 1,040 BTC in the Lightning uh, overall. That's about $12 million of liquidity across 7,466 nodes representing 37,325 channels. Tor capacity, we now have over, well, we're over 500 BTC in the Tor side of the network. That's 503.9 BTC. So that brings the percentage of Tor capacity to 48.4%. And that is over 2,336 Lightning nodes, or rather Tor nodes on the Lightning network. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this one with Tyler Winklevoss says that the United States Federal Reserve is the biggest booster of Bitcoin price. William Suberg is writing this for Cointelegraph when, oh, sometime this morning. The upcoming Fed speech, as I alluded to, which many suggest will focus on raising inflation is only good news for BTC slash USD. That's the pair. Winklevoss argues. All right, let's get into what they're saying about it. Let's see. 
Bitcoin is getting most of its price support from the Federal Reserve itself. Entrepreneur Tyler Winklevoss believes in a tweet on August the 25th, the Gemini Exchange co-founder argued that Fed policy is and will continue to bolster Bitcoin's fortunes. The reason, Winklevoss said, is that the fallout from coronavirus containment measures across the United States economy will mean that the central bank accidentally makes Bitcoin more appealing and the dollar less so. On Thursday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell will deliver a speech that commentators expect will contain an announcement on letting inflation rise dramatically. This alone makes Bitcoin, which has a fixed, unalterable issuance and supply, instantly attractive. The Fed, under the leadership of Jerome Powell, continues to be Bitcoin's biggest booster, Winklevi wrote. I'm sorry, Winklevoss. Quote, on Thursday, he will deliver a speech about how the Fed will begin targeting higher inflation, end quote. As Cointelegraph reported, anticipation around the Fed inadvertently plugging safe havens such as gold and Bitcoin has been building as both assets see price surges in line with rises in central banks' balance sheets. Of course, earlier this month, Edward Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research, said that the heightened inflation targets would be wildly bullish for precious metals. Meanwhile, Bloomberg reports that interest rates should remain near zero for five years with the potential for longer periods not ruled out. That would mimic behavior following the 2008 global financial crisis, which saw uh, rates kept unchanged at near zero until the end of 2015. Quote, I wouldn't be surprised if interest rates are still zero five years from now, ex-chief White House economist Jason Furman told the publication. The Fed has so far so far steered clear of negative interest rates, diverging from a practice that has been present under the auspices of the European Central Bank for several years. In May, a report argued that Bitcoin was a natural focus for fund managers aiming to mitigate the impact of such a financial policy. Yep, you'd be committing some type of misfeasance or or mal, possibly even malfeasance, depending on how you're doing it, if you are at least not suggesting to your investor base as one of these people that we may be that y'all may be missing the boat, right? Um, people, you really do. I'm serious. It it happens. People get in trouble because they just didn't see a new asset class or they just didn't see a, you know, a little segment of a new asset class that they could have put their investors in and their investors get very, very angry and have a tendency to sue because they weren't able to get the gains, bro. I'm telling you it happens, but another Bitcoin lightning startup is working with visa to fast track card payments. Check it out. A second company outside of lightning network or LN strike is doing this. So let's let Alyssa Hertig tell us all about it. She's writing it for CoinDesk when August the 25th. Last month, Bitcoin lightning startup strike announced it would be working with the world payment giant visa. Now, another startup in the same vein, LastBit, which just launched its app in beta, will be going through the same Visa Fast Track program. This partnership will eventually make it possible for users to pay for items priced in U.S. dollars, but using Bitcoin. LastBit founder Prashanth Balasabamarian. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to do this, Mr. X, okay? Uh, LastBit founder Mr. X told Coindesk the company would be releasing an app that works with euros in a few weeks. <clears throat> LastBit's end goal is to allow users to make lightning payments to pay for just about anything. The user pulls up the LastBit app, loads Bitcoin into it. 
then has instant access to a digital debit card for sending Bitcoin payments. When the user sends a Bitcoin payment, the vendor gets euros or dollars on the other side. Bitcoin's Lightning Network helps make uh, Bitcoin payments faster and cheaper. A few shops here and there accept Lightning payments, but they're still not nearly as widely accepted as normal Bitcoin transactions. Ultimately, LastBit wants to allow Bitcoin users to walk into any shop and make a purchase with Bitcoin, regardless of whether or not the merchant accepts it. Quote, we simply want to see the masses using Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. To do this, we have engineered arguably the most seamless interoperability between Bitcoin and fiat on top of the Lightning Network that caters to the needs of both new and experienced users alike, Mr. X told Coindesk. Sorry, but it's just not going to happen with this guy's last name. Sorry. Toward that goal, they're working in both Europe and the U.S. to open up the possibility of sending Bitcoin payments to vendors. Funded by Litecoin creator Charlie Lee, crypto exchange Binance and database creator MongoDB, among others, the startup cut its teeth in the University of California Berkeley's Accelerator program. Now, as a, quote, small company without millions in the bank, last bit has found Visa's Fast Track program to be a good fit, said Mr. X. Quote, the Visa Fast Track program appears to solve these problems for us to get to market faster, and this was why we applied to their program despite being below their minimum funding requirement of $1 million. Nice. Good job, bro. While LastBit is working with Visa for U.S. payments, it already has approval to get going in the European Union from MasterCard. That's the focus for now, with the hopes of proving that the product works. Quote, with a solid product, partnerships, and notable investors behind us, we're going to roll out our Bitcoin Lightning and uh, Euro interoperability payments later in the EU to prove that this actually works and that a small company without millions can pull off a complex payments product to push for Bitcoin adoption, Mr. X said. That's kind of exciting, honestly. That's a part of the story that's really neat is that they're not capitalized at over a million dollars. And yet they were still fast-tracked into the visa program. So this this is going to be a company to watch. Don't, you know, I mean, I really like LN Strike, but it can't be the only company. There has to be other companies that start doing this. There has to be competition. Not to make LN Strike better or any of the companies. It's that the, the more restaurants you put on a city block, the more that city block is going to be thought of by the masses that if you masses that if you want to go eat, this is the block where you go. Right? It's kind of like that. I won't there's a, a name for that and I can't remember, but whatever. Asset Giant Fidelity analyzes model that forecasts rise to $1 million. Talking about the Bitcoin price daily hodl staff is anyway, and they're writing it for the daily hodl sometime on the 25th. The trillion-dollar asset manager Fidelity is scrutinizing a popular and controversial Bitcoin price model. Can you guess what it is? (laughs) A recent report from Fidelity Digital Assets analyzes the stock-to-flow ratio, which divides the amount of of a commodity in circulation by the amount mined per year. Using the correlation between an asset's price and its S2F ratio, the pseudonymous crypto analyst Plan B has predicted that Bitcoin's value will soar to $1 million by 2029. Although there is a fierce debate on whether the stock-to-flow ratio is an accurate way of, uh, to forecast Bitcoin's trajectory, Fidelity says the model is a credible tool for analyzing scarce assets. 
The firm says historically, the metric is a sound way to judge whether a given commodity will become a successful store of value. Quote, commodities with a stock that is difficult to double due to a low rate of production relative to existing supply have historically served as superior stores of value. Such commodities are largely used for investment purposes and occasionally industrial uses. On the other hand, consumable commodities that are susceptible to large increases in supply are less effective in storing value. In the Bitcoin standard, Saifedean Amis adopted stock-to-flow to compare Bitcoin to commodities used for investment and consumption, and the use of this metric has since expanded and even given rise to models based on the ratio. Gold, the most resilient store of value through the ages, has the highest stock-to-flow ratio followed by Bitcoin today and silver. Following the recent halving of May 2020, the gap between gold and, and Bitcoin ratio compressed. Bitcoin stock to flow will eclipse that of gold following the next halving in 2024. And boy, that's going to be a big one, man. Grayscale echoes Fidelity's assessment that commodities with high S2F ratios are typically sought after by investors. The investment giant looks at Bitcoin to illustrate the positive correlation between an asset's price and its S2F ratio. Quote, commodities with high stock to flow ratios such as Bitcoin, gold, and silver have historically been utilized as stores of value. Figure 10, which I'm not going to describe, it's a little stock, it's a little chart, shows a popular model that uses Bitcoin's historical relationship between price and stock to flow to estimate a future price. However, Grayscale cautions that the S2F price model does not guarantee an increase in the asset's value. There's your cover your ass. Quote, while it's true that prices followed the stock to flow model with high correlation, the relationship may be spurious and does not take into account the requisite demand for price appreciation. So yeah, it's it's a, a fancy way of saying that the price could go up or it could go down. No, it it actually that is really what it says, but I don't know. I got I got hopes for the S2F model. It seems to have held pretty well, and now we got Fidelity saying that no, the S2F model is pretty much standard fare in the business when we're looking at a store of value. It's not like it's it, it what they're saying is that this is not new. It's not like plan B, you know, pulled something out of his ass and he never said that he did. But a lot of, I think a lot of people are looking at plan B and the S2F model, like he just invented something and he didn't, this has been around, especially in commodities, you know, as a tool for finding out as, you know, trying to do price discovery for a long, 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 very long time, probably a lot longer than we think. And then longer than that. <clears throat> Oh, good Lord. Did I put this up twice? I did. I'm looking, I'm staring straight into the story that I read at the first of the uh, first of the show, Bitcoin backer, Jameson Lop defends support of INX token. It still kind of hurts to watch this, to watch this happen. Clearly I'm not going to read the, read the uh, article again. That would just be stupid, but it just cannot, I, I cannot iterate enough how it is that you got to be really careful. I mean, like tender, loving, careful with your reputation in this space. It takes all so long to build up a reputation of any kind, but it takes only seconds to burn it to the ground. And I, I kind of fear that that's what, what's happened here. We saw what happened with Trace Mayer. He hasn't said a word since he started shilling his own shit coin. And I can't remember, was it Mimble Wimble coin? Yeah, it was Mimble Wimble coin, and he was like handing out like little, like what looked like Chinese fortunes out of fortune cookies about how it was going to 
surpass Bitcoin's price and shit. And since that day, he I, I've looked. He hasn't tweeted once. I haven't heard a sound from Trace Mayer. That was what, February, January? It's like eight months ago and you haven't, I mean, the dude, he is a missing person at this point. And I don't know what he was thinking either. It's not like he didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah I, I don't understand people sometimes. Australian payments firm sues Ripple for use of pay ID trademark. Oh, this will be fun. August the 26th, Coindesk's Sebastian Sinclair is writing this bullet point thing that they're doing now. A major Australian financial services firm is suing uh, Ripple Labs over allegations of trademark infringement. In a court document filed last Friday in the Federal Court of Australia, New South Wales Registry, New Payments Platform Australia, NPPA, claims Ripple breached Australia's Trademarks Act 1995 in the Australian Consumer Law with the unauthorized use of its brand and trademark pay ID. NPPA asserts that the PayID brand was launched in Australia in February of 2018, backed by a 3.3 million Australian dollar advertising campaign, and that it has worked since to develop the brand. However, in June of 2020, NPPO CEO Adrian Lovney found Ripple had launched a similar PayID branded service in Australia. Ooh, on their own soil, no less. That's probably not going to go well for the Cripple people. As part of its Open Payments Coalition, or the OPC, with 40 partners globally, three out of the 40 companies in Ripple's OPC are based in Australia, Flash FX, BTC Markets, and Independent Reserve per the filing. Levney claims that there is evidence that the three exchanges incorrectly believe that there was an association between services offered by NPAA and those offered by Ripple under the Pay ID trademark. God, if they can prove that... That's ah, not good. Pay ID is used by NPA, NPPA to identify uh, the the service and the account proxies that form part of its interbanking services. It enables customers to create their own unique identifier that can be linked to their financial institution by an email address, a, a mobile number, or Australian business number. NPPA says five million pay IDs have already been registered in that it's already comprises an important part of Australia's NPP, a payments platform developed and operated by NPPA. Justice Stephen Burley ruled Friday that NPPA may serve Ripple notice outside of Australia. Well, that's probably not going to do dick, but whatever. NPPA is a joint venture public company mutually owned by 13 of Australia's largest financial institutions, including the Reserve Bank of Australia, ANZ Bank, Westpac, and Commonwealth Bank, among others. So, I don't know, man. I hope they burn Ripple to the ground, but you know what's going to happen. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? I don't know. Because we're all experiencing Dante's Inferno, I guess. I keep coming back to that. But I just, I, I mean, honestly, I was like, I, I, I can't stop thinking about it simply because everything that's in that book is what we're experiencing. I guarantee, like, I guarantee it. You go read Dante's Inferno. It's not all that long. And if you haven't read it, you're missing one of the, one of the greatest pieces of world literature that's ever been written, ever, okay? Yeah, and you don't have to read Paradise. You don't have to read Purgatory, which are the other two books after after the Inferno. Just read the Inferno. 
If you want to read the others, th those are good too. But Inferno, honestly, it's like, just compare it to this space and what you see. And I guarantee you, you'll be able to identify even I will, even I will probably be somewhere in those circles of hell. All of us are there. That's why it reminds me so much of that space. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Today's daily train wreck brought to you by the good folks over at Ethereum. Ethereum tokens worth $1 billion vulnerable to fake deposit attack. Ada Hui is writing this one for Coindesk.com. Over $1 billion worth of tokens on the Ethereum blockchain are missing a software standard released in 2017, setting them up to be hijacked and drained from trading exchanges, according to new research. The software vulnerability called a fake deposit exploit was pinpointed in 7,772 issuers of ERC-20 tokens, according to research from Peking University, Beijing University of Post and Telecommunications, Zhihang University, and the University of Queensland. The research states that by manipulating code in the smart contracts or programming scripts of ERC-20 tokens listed on cryptocurrency exchanges with deficient transaction verification methods, a hacker can fraudulently siphon exorbitant amounts of funds at nearly no cost, the fake atta deposit attack could then crash the exchange, causing hodlers of the ERC-20 tokens and other cryptocurrencies to lose their funds. Some hodlers could also have trouble accessing utilities purchased with the ERC-20 tokens, which are increasingly tied to goods and necessities such as energy, real estate, and issuance or insurance. And honestly, no, they're not. Not really. There's a whole bunch of shitty companies out there that say they're doing that, but it's not really actually happening <laughs> just i'm just saying i'm just saying so um quote if the fake deposit attack is carried out it is for sure a, a great disaster for the token one of the researchers said uh hi yu wang of beijing university of post and telecommunications associate professor of computer sciences quote worst case the token has to be reissued. Oh, joy. Because smart contracts are permanent on the Ethereum blockchain and cannot be reversed. Bullshit. The onus falls on cryptocurrency exchanges to fix ERC-20 tokens. Procedures already prone to fake deposit attacks. Fabian Vogesteller, the Ethereum developer who created ERC-20 coins, said cryptocurrency exchanges can blacklist malicious token contracts. Oh, Yes, mud decentralization right there. Zhihang University Cyber Science Associate Professor Li Wu, a second member of the research team, also suggested releasing so-called proxy smart contracts to keep open the option of replacing old Ethereum smart contracts. However, some Ethereum developers have avoided writing proxy smart contracts because they carry their own security risks. I have an old... Very difficult time getting through this. For ERC-20 tokens in the works, the Ethereum Foundation recommends Ethereum blockchain developers implement the protective smart contract software standard as a failsafe against inattentive cryptocurrency exchanges, Wang and Wu said. An ERC smart contract without the Ethereum blockchain software standard EIP-20 introduced in 2017 relies on what is known in computer science as a conditional programming statement to check for insufficient token balances. 
The conditional statement outputs a return false statement that blocks a token transaction from being terminated. This return false statement becomes the basis of the fake deposit attack on cryptocurrency exchanges that do not perform security checks after the programming functions transfer and transfer from are called. The attack first works by issuing an ERC-20 smart contract to a cryptocurrency exchange and transferring one ERC-20 token to the exchange account. On a decentralized exchange, the programming function, deposit token, can then tell the transfer from function to deposit however many tokens into the attacker's account. On a centralized exchange, the transfer function is instead called with the smart contracts to and value fields set to the attacker's account address and desired token amount. God, this is bad. The vulnerable tokens with the most trading volumes on decentralized exchanges, Cloud Brick, Movie Credits, Bull and Bear, Love, and Ether Doge, have had little, if any, activity, according to the research. These ERC-20 tokens are circulating on three decentralized exchanges, IDEX, DDEX, and EtherDelta, which patched the vulnerability this month, according to the study's researchers. In contrast, 7,716 of the ERC-20 tokens vulnerable to fake deposit attacks, 99.2% of those identified are listed on centralized exchanges such as Binance, CoinEx, or Coinbase, OKX, and Kraken. Affected tokens on centralized exchanges where the bulk of the standard missing ERC-20 tokens are trading were valued at more than $1.1 billion in April Bear Chain's BRC token, the Brave Privacy Web's, uh, Web Browser's basic attention token, and Huobi Chinese Cryptocurrency Exchange's HT, HPT token, the Rocket Tool Ethereum App Services RPL token, and the Power Ledger Electrical Grid Blockchain's PWR token had the highest recorded market caps of the vulnerable tokens held on centralized exchanges, approximately 391,000 in, okay, we'll just do the the dollar numbers, approximately $391,000 of BRC, $388,000 of BAT, dollars of BAT, $63,000 of HRT, $39,000 of RPL, and $28,000 of power were affected. So the BAT, freaking BAT token is one of these tokens that the basic attention token, the one that everybody was like fawning over. Good luck guys. I wonder how INX is going to do on this. I wonder if it has this vulnerability or not. When asked the computer scientists declined to identify the affected Ethereum coins besides those with the top five volumes on decentralized exchanges and the top five market caps on centralized exchanges, the researchers also did not determine which centralized exchanges have not undertaken recommended Ethereum token security procedures. Jesus Christ. Okay, you know what? That's just enough of that. I, I can't even get through the rest of it because we're, we, we are literally living in a time on a, you know, this is a day, the day uh, after uh, the, the, the OGs launched their INX token on Ethereum. And all, I mean, basically on this, almost like on the heels of that, we've got this thing that calls into question 7,700 ERC-20 tokens, including some of the biggest ones, as vulnerable to a fake deposit account. This is why Bitcoin, I'm just going to go ahead and get right on into the joke. You know why? Because I don't want to wait on it. I need, I need a dad says jokes. Okay. Oh, oh my God. Um, 
Everyone was excited to be at our autopsy club this evening. It was open mic night. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. An autopsy is what we're going to need. We're going to need a full post-mortem after all this shit is said and done. God only knows if that's ever going to happen. And if it does, God only knows when. I'll probably be dead, but whatever. It's And if I am, I, I guess I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.